Hey there, you're with Disembodied Podcast. This is Evie Escher. This week, my guest is Tim Doyle, who is a spiritual teacher and guide who shares channeled teachings from the Golden Ones. And these are beings concerned with upholding universal laws and principles of harmony, balance, order, and unity for the greater good. Although Tim is now retired and residing in China after a 35-year career in the U.S. corporate world, he's an ordained metaphysical minister, Reiki master, certified kundalini instructor, and an author. Since 1972, Tim has been a student of the Golden Ones, and he believes the Golden Ones are the co-creator gods and administrators of Earth's spiritual hierarchy training school, sanctioned by the Galactic Council. It sounds kind of crazy, but um, he'll explain it pretty well here. They teach aspects and processes of manifestation using conscious mind, subconscious mind, interactions with universal mind, removing all fears, unhealthy thoughts of self and others immediately, and attuning to the heart and mind of God. Those are all things that they can do. Their teachings greatly assist in the soul's ascension. Other things we're going to talk about are Tim's experience drinking ayahuasca and wachuma with the shamans in Peru, <laughs> out-of-body experiences, astral travel, and raising kundalini during meditation. So this is kind of a wild ride. I know you'll enjoy this. Sit tight. Here we go. Okay, Tim, welcome to Disembodied Podcast. It's great to have you. Evie, thank you for the opportunity to share the teachings of the Golden Ones. I'm pleased to be here. Yeah, I'm interested in having a conversation with you because you're connected to a lot of people on the spirit side, a lot of entities, let's say, energies, whatever you want to call them. How did you get started in that? Because I really don't think it tends to happen all at once to people that they realize how many, I guess, uh, energies they can be connected to. No, it started when I was about uh, 12 years old. I remember laying in bed. 9.30 at nighttime, and I was afraid of the dark. And I thought there might have been a boogeyman under my bed or someone in the closet. And so I'm laying in bed, and the thought comes in my mind, if I start thinking about something fun, it will replace the thought it was thinking. So I started thinking about being on a Ferris wheel and in a, a playground and so forth, and it worked. So that would probably gave me my first impression of listening to my thoughts. So later on in life, when I was about maybe, I think, 21 or 22, I had a psychic reading by a friend, a friend of a friend. She says, if you start to meditate, you can basically do what she was doing, being psychic. So I went home and I started meditating. In my meditations, when I started meditating, I would hear these voices telling me, be calm, don't think about this, don't think about that. And it was like not knowing, you know, when you're young, you don't know what you're thinking are your thoughts and what other people are thinking are their thoughts. So I just paid attention to the thoughts that were coming into my mind, sort of just responded by disciplining them and so forth. And little by little, I was um, opening up the chakras in my body. I would have sensations in uh, my root chakra, seeing colors, and then moving up to my uh, second chakra, third chakra. And eventually I had a out-of-body experience when I raised the, it's called the Kundalini. It's an energy at the root of the, of the chakra that comes up through all the chakras. 
It gives you a blinding light in your mind's eye. And then uh, I spiraled out of my body. So I spiraled out of my body, not knowing where I was going. And I quickly, uh, <laughs> very quickly, asked my, my teachers at the time to return me to my body, which I started to de-spiral back into my body. So that got me going. That was probably back, probably about 50 years ago. And then uh, little by little, I was raised Catholic, but I started to attend the metaphysical teachings of this lady that told me to start meditating. So as I went through and got a metaphysical degree and uh, a certified metaphysical minister, uh, my teachers at the time, I could have just taken a class, but they says, no, get the certificate. At the time, this back in, I think, like 86. And I didn't know why, but I started accumulating uh, certificates, certified metaphysical minister. Then I became uh, a master uh, kundalini Reiki master. In 2008, I couldn't run anymore because of where I was living. And so I started to do yoga, kundalini yoga, every day in my office and then uh, and talking to my spirit guides and so forth. And then I went to uh, Hawaii, got certified as a kundalini yoga ins inspector. And in between, I would just do spiritual things like uh, drink the ayahuasca in Peru with the shamans. I'd come home from work and my teachers would say, go on a trip. And I'd say, okay, where? And they'd say, oh, go visit a shaman. And so I'd get on the internet and I'd find a place that I was guided to go to and sign up for a, a journey to go visit the shamans. And I don't know if you know anything about the ayahuasca, Evie? Um, I do. I've interviewed a few people that have talked about it, actually. Yeah, well, it was a very... <laughs> eye-opening experience for me because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know I was going to go in Peru, in the jungle of Peru, and with no electricity and and uh, no running water, uh, hot water, and uh, live in this grass hut that when I went into, there was a spider the size of my hand on the wall uh, that I had to sleep in this grass hut bed. <laughs> and then to find out I was drinking something that the ayahuasca, I couldn't even pronounce the name ayahuasca. There was only 16 of us. The shaman would only take 16. And we got up the river about, oh, from the river, from the Amazon River. And we got up the river and getting out of the boats, uh, someone says, Howard, who was a shaman, when are we going to drink the ayahuasca? And I want drink the what? That was an experience. And I returned for the next five years drinking the ayahuasca. I received many teachings during the drinking of the ayahuasca, many, 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 many teachings, which facilitated what I was hearing, what I experienced in life, and later on in life. I went from 2000 to 2005 to Peru once, once a year for 10 days, once I went for 30 days. The experience of drinking the ayahuasca towards the end was like, like you were talking to God, you were right in there, and the God, the gods were were speaking to you. It was such a a place that you just embraced. Then in nineteen, what must have been nineteen eighty three? About that time, I was in meditation. Came home from work three thirty in the afternoon. I would always try to check in once in a while uh, if I didn't do a long meditation or if I had a rough day. Just check in, light a candle, sit down, and calm myself. And on this one particular day, when I lit the candle, 
my mind's eye opened up and a beautiful golden light being appeared to me in my mind's eye. It was just, it's like as clear as I'm looking at you right now, I could see this in my mind's eye, this being. And he took from around his neck a necklace and it floated from him to me and he put this necklace around my neck. And when he did, there was a tingling sensation going down my body. So that was like back in 1983, and I went out and had a necklace made just to remind me of the day, thinking that, you know, I don't want to forget this. You know, I want to look at this and remember that this golden light being appeared to me and such and such. And then uh, I continued my my studies, my meditations, and, and always traveling someplace just to get the spiritual knowledge of what was going on in the world and how other cultures uh, embrace spirituality and what was their practice and so forth. And then I'm in, I'm in southern New Zealand in, in October uh, 2012. And I'm in meditation. And, a, and in my mind's eye, I felt a group of spiritual beings from my left. I said, who are you? And they said, we come to join you. So, you know, I've had spiritual... <laughs> Beings that come to me in the past, not staying with me, or, you know, I didn't take it literally, they were going to join me. And so I said, okay, I welcome them and such and such. And then two months later, well, actually three months later, I'm up in upstate New York, freezing cold. I used to do my Kundalini yoga at 3.30 in the morning, you do it before sunrise. And I, when I do my yoga and I'm doing my stretches, I talk to my spirits. I just talk. They're always talking to me, so I talk back, and I see what's going through my mind, and and I see what the response is and so forth. They told me some things that I kind of laughed at. Well, actually, they told me I would become a, a spiritual teacher, world-renowned, and I laughed at them. I says, you know, and I actually did laugh out loud, and I says, what possible thing could I tell the world that hasn't already been taught? And I just let it go. Mm -hmm. And uh, two days later, they woke me up at 2.30 in the morning. And they said, go to the computer and write or type whatever you hear in your mind. So I went to the computer, sat down, and whatever I wrote, I typed it up. It was probably a page long. When I got to the end and I read it, I says, well, I can't claim that I wrote this. I says, how should I sign it? They said, sign it the golden ones. So I says, okay, so that's the first time I really was officially introduced to them as the golden ones. And then probably for the next 30 days or longer, they would wake me up at 2.30 in the morning. I would go to the computer. I would um, type whatever was in my mind. And later in that day, some of the information later in the day, I would have to experience what they taught me so I could authenticate what was taught so I could actually say, you know, this is true. They told me that I experienced it. I found it to be true. And I would claim it as being my truth. Might not be anybody else's truth, but it was my truth. And so this went on for, hmm, God, only days since 2013. I, they've been coming to me and writing. And then in 2014, they told me to come to China. At this point in time, in 2014, I wrote two books just basic books on what they, what I channeled from them. And it's called How to Play the Game of Life. And there was a, a beginner's version, an intermediate version. 
So I thought I was coming. They wanted me to come to China to uh, write the third book. That was my assumption. So I had some beautiful crystals and pictures and everything, yoga mats, all my belongings. Oh, I had to sell them. There was no problem. Okay, I've got to sell everything or give them away. And so most of the things I gave away and some things I sold just to get, because I had to get rid of it. I, I was limited to two suitcases coming to China. And so I couldn't take anything. I don't even remember if I took anything very precious to me to China. I don't think I did. So I came to China in May of 2014, and my credit card didn't work. Uh, the only thing I had, I had some money, cash. Good thing I had some cash because American dollar is gold here. I just happened to meet the right people to set me up and get me going, get me from one person to another person. They weren't the most honest people I met, but they facilitated my journey to get where I, where I am now. And so I, eventually I got married and I'm here in China now. And I still am very much connected with the golden ones. I mean, it's like, I don't meditate anymore because if I wanna know anything, they tell me or they guide me or it brings it to my attention. And so I continue to do the website, putting articles up on the website. I do free consultations for anyone that is interested in, you know, if they just want to talk or if they have a challenge in their life. Evie, I've been trained on so many facets of life in this, uh, this earthly world, trap souls, uh, removing negative energies, removing fears out of the body, uh, removing obstacles off your path, just little things that anybody can do if they understand who they are. Basically, my journey now is just to be available. Well, actually, no. <laughs> I have about a month ago, my life is pretty well stable now. I have nothing challenging me. I do English classes like I told you. And then all of a sudden, what was brought to my attention was astral projection. And it's kind of crazy because I did the out-of-body. And when I was in Peru, um, my last journey in 2005, we were in Chavin, Peru, a very spiritual city in Peru. And this time we were drinking, um, I just had it on my tongue. Oh, wachumi is what we were drinking. It's part of a cactus and you drink it. And it, what it does is it brings your feelings out more where your feelings, you feel more, you feel, you feel happy, you feel the birds, you feel life, you feel, you're just feelings are just, you know, opened. And so that day we did Wachumi. And that night I got up at 11.15 to go to the bathroom, laid back down in bed. And two seconds later, I was sitting up and I was walking, and I noticed that I was out of my body, and I could touch things saying, I'm actually out of my body. Evie, I took like five steps, and I was in another world. And when I went into this other world, I was greeted by this lady, and she says, you're in the world where the sun shines before the dawn, which I still haven't figured out where that is. <laughs> and so she started talking to me, and then two other ladies came up. And this was um, January 24th of 2005 or six, I think it was. And they said, we knew you would come by the end of the month. And so they told me some things about my life, which were true. 
And we walked around and they showed me a little bit of their world. And they told me to eat bananas and fish. And I thought, okay. And I took it and I was back in my bed. And about 20 minutes later, maybe a half an hour later, and I got up the next day and I talked to the shaman. I had breakfast with him, Howard. He was from the United States. We became very good friends uh, after five years. And I said, Howard, and I told him about my journey. And I says, they told me to eat fish and bananas. He says, oh, he says, that's the ayahuasca diet. Oh, okay. So it was confirmation to him that I actually took the journey. And it was also a confirmation to me that he validated that what they told me was something that he was aware of. He never shared that, you you know, fish and banana was the ayahuasca diet to us as students and so forth. And that got me going on my out-of-body experience and then on my astral travel. And so recently now, I have this, I believe the next part of my journey is to master astral travel. And reason being is there's questions I have in my mind about how things work. And I thought, this could be crazy if I could astral travel, find out certain things like where do new souls come from? Is uh, reincarnation, where does it start? Does it start in an insect? Does it start in the animals? Because we know that the cats and dogs are very spiritual. All animals are very spiritual. So where does reincarnation start? and so forth. So there's a lot of questions that can I go someplace and find out how to what's the healing for a certain condition if a pole, if a person has a certain medical condition, can I go someplace in astral realm and find the answer to help this person? So that's currently what I'm working on now. <laughs> and have you found any of those answers? Like do you do you think you know where reincarnation starts? Is it that we're starting as a stone and migrating to animal bodies and then human? EV, this is what I want to find out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're you're just directed at this, but you're not really doing it yet. Uh, no, you know, and it's, it's a crazy process. I've done some research about people who have, I only started this probably about a week ago. I've done a lot of research on people who supposedly have astro-traveled and I go there and they say, well, I think this is what you're supposed to do. I think this is what you're supposed to do. So my teachers told me, don't listen to them. They have me set on something. When you astral travel, from what I have heard from people say, and what I have found so far to be true, is your body has to be asleep, but your mind has to be awake. Now, many years ago, I had to do this. I would wake up and I knew my body was asleep. But my mind was awake. I went to, back in 1988, I went to the Monroe Institute in Virginia and for a week where Robert Monroe was teaching. I don't think he was actually teaching astral travels, but I think he was teaching out-of-body experiences. And I went there for a week and I studied under their teachings and I even got their gateway series. And I would listen to them for many years. That's something I didn't take with me when I came to uh, China, but I would listen to those tapes all the time and it would heighten my awareness of reality, but I never experienced any out of body while listening to the, the gateway tapes back in whenever I listened to them. So I, I have this interest now and I just know, I just know 
this is where I'm supposed to go for my next level of soul development or soul training. Like I said, everything on earth I've been Basically, I could answer any question on anything relating to trapped souls, helping souls move to the next level of soul development, how to heal the body. Let's get into some of those things. Like how do you remove fears or negative energy? How do you instruct people to do that? See, you're, you're con- you have two minds. You have a conscious mind and you have a subconscious mind. The purpose of your conscious mind is to validate truth because In this spiritual training school, the soul is here to learn wisdom. That's what God is, wisdom. So the conscious mind is to validate truth. What's true? One and one is two. That's true. So you put it into your subconscious. One plus three is nine. No, that's not true. So you don't file that away. But what happens sometimes is, let's say that you're having a, you're learning how to swim. And when you go to learn how to swim, you accidentally fall in the deep end and you almost drowned, and someone has to save you. Well, to that soul, that was true. They almost thought they were going to drown, so they take that fear of water, and they file it in their subconscious as a fear. Now, this truth could be from snakes, from heights, from being abused. Just anything that they believe to be true, they put it into their subconscious, and it's, it's a fear. It's a fear or it's a feeling that prevents the soul from vibrating at their highest possible vibration. And so it holds them back. And even if uh, an authority figure, let's say, and I'll use the Catholic Church because I was raised Catholic. The Catholic Church says that you can't eat meat on Friday. Oh, okay. Many years ago, this happened back in, oh my God the 60s or 70s. And if you ate meat on Friday, well, you have a sin. And if you have a sin, you can't go to heaven. So you have these fears that, oh, I did this, or I lied, or I stole something. I'm an, I can't go to heaven and so forth. And so these are all just fears that the soul can very easily remove. It's like on your camera. If you take a bad picture on your camera, you look at it and go, oh, it's a bad picture. You delete it. It's that simple to delete these fears off your body. You don't have to go to a psychiatrist for years under treatment. Very simple. We could demonstrate it right now, Evie, if you would like to, if you have a fear you'd like to try and get rid of. Yeah, I do have a fear I'd love to get rid of, and that is driving on mountain roads and heights in general. Okay. Would you like to get rid of it right now? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, there's three things you have to do. See, the fear is in your subconscious, which is your solar plexus above the navel, and that connects you to your light body. Your light body has all of God's characteristics in it, and it comes into our solar plex area because we have to develop these God characteristics through our feelings. So we have these feelings in our solar plexus. So put your left hand above your navel, okay? And your right hand on your heart. Now, when I started this, I might have had a hundred fears or a hundred things that bothered me and so forth. So I would do this constantly. I wouldn't say constantly, maybe three or four times a day, 10 times a week. Then as I got rid of them, little by little, it's like nothing bothers me now. So your hands in place, 
Now, what you have to do, you, like I said, you could have many fears that you're not aware of. So you have to think about what it is you want to get rid of. You have to call this fear. These fears are actually entities. They're parasites. So they, they will try to tell you, oh, Evie, you don't need to get rid of this. It really doesn't bother you. It only hurts you when you're driving and you don't go to the mountain driving too often. So don't bother doing this prayer. It may not even work. They, tr they get into your mind. They try to convince you not to remove this parasite from your being. So with this in your mind, you have to feel the fear you want to get rid of. So you have to think about driving on a, pretend you're driving on a mountain road and there's, it's dark and it's maybe rainy and it, you're kind of like, you know, have a little bit of tension within yourself, okay? So if you've got the feeling now, just say these words after me, okay? Are you ready? Yeah. This feeling is not mine. This feeling is not mine. This feeling does not belong to me. This feeling does not belong to me. I release this fear in love. I release this fear in love. Now and forever. Now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right, Evie, try and find that fear within you right now. Try and find it. Yeah, I do have a different sensation. I have a feeling like it's um, irrational. I know you're looking for it. It's not as prevalent as it was before. You may have something else. What happens is that might have been your biggest fear. Once you get rid of that fear, another one will take its place. All right. And okay. then that one, you come up and say, oh, well, yeah, that one's gone. But now I feel I'm feeling something like this. Do the same thing again. When I learned this process back in mm, 2012, I was in Sydney, Australia. And I was in a spiritual conference in Thoth, T-H-O-T-H, came through the channel. And who Thoth is an Egyptian god. He came through the channel and he... He gave us this technique to remove this fear. And so I took it home and I was working with it. I was in meditation. Our Charian, seventh dimension beings, visited me. And they told me that they're parasites and that they'll play with your mind. They, these parasites will get in and convince you not to remove this fear because they, the parasite believes that if you remove this fear, They'll die, which is not true. They'll just go to another realm and they'll, God, I don't know, maybe they'll reincarnate as something else. I don't know. Or maybe they just go out into the ether someplace. I don't know where they go. <laughs> and so they told me that they're parasites. And when I talk to people around the world and I explain to them what it is that they're parasites and if, if they have any fears, whether they like to get rid of it, they'll say, oh, everyone's supposed to have a fear. Don't, you know, fears are good. You need fears because fears prepare you for something. I don't know what they're saying and so forth. So I don't argue with them. I say, okay, I mean, you know, I'm not going to convince anybody to, to do something they don't feel they want to do or they're not ready to do something. I do know that's how I, on the website, it's the prayer to remove emotional parasites. And it's to get rid of all fears, even Things that happened to you when you were young, let's say you were abused by by someone or you were, mm, um, let's just say you were abused physically, sexually, however, and you have these feelings 
about what happened to you and so forth. All those memories can be erased and removed immediately with this prayer, Evie. So that, that's how to get rid of fears and feelings of not liking someone. Fears that you can't trust somebody. Just feelings that are not godlike you can get rid yeah. of. Hmm. And do you protect yourself? Do you do any exercises where you protect your aura or your, you know, your chakras or anything? Yeah, I do. Back in 1980, oh my God, back in 1988, I would always get up early in the morning, three o'clock. I, I had to be to work by maybe 6.30. So I'd get up at three o'clock, 2.30, three o'clock, and I would go for a walk. That would be my morning meditation walk to prepare me for the day. So this one morning I'm walking, pitch black. I'm out in the country, pitch black, no streetlights. All the houses are off the road. It's a little country road. So I'm walking along and I feel like someone is right behind me. And I says, this is crazy. I didn't hear anybody come up behind me or anything like that. The feeling was so strong. I had to turn around and look. So I turned around and looked, and of course, nobody was there. So I went home. I finished my walk, went home. It was a Sunday morning. The next night, it was Monday night. It was 8.30 at night, and I have four boys. I still have four boys, but the youngest one was eight years old, not, almost nine years old. My wife comes in, and she says, listen, I think we need to talk with the youngest one. I says, Why? She says, well, when he goes into the bathroom and he looks in the mirror, he thinks he's going to see someone standing behind him. I went, oh, okay. I says, I know what it is. So at the time, I was concerned about meditating. When I first started to meditate, I didn't want to meditate and go to someplace I didn't know. And so I was given this prayer, prayer of protection by my teacher, my minister, called the prayer of protection. And I used that whenever I went into meditation. I would say this prayer. I would know that if anything happened to me during meditation, it was from the divine. It was supposed to be. So I was always completely calm and in going into meditation. So I told my wife, call my son, bring him up into our, I had a room, uh, a meditation room, a green room. I call it the green room because green is a color for healing and it would be my meditation classroom so we, i got him up there and sat him down across from me and his name was dustin and i said dustin i'm going to say this prayer you let me know how you feel so i said this prayer it's a very short little prayer i tell everybody memorize the prayer and so he sat across from me i said the prayer when i finished he says it's gone i says what do you mean it's gone he says, well, when you started the prayer, I could feel this thing spiraling out of me, going up through my head. So he says, it's gone. He says, can I go to bed now? <laughs> I go, yeah, you can go to bed now. <laughs> so it was telling me that I had a tool to use if anybody had an attachment from a trapped soul. Now, for your audience, there's no ghost. What all ghosts are are trapped souls. And what happens is, is at the time of death, the soul has three days to move to the next level of soul development. We all have free will. We don't have to go to the next level of soul development. So sometimes a soul dies and doesn't know they're dead. It was like an accident and it's sudden 
And it's like, they don't move on. They think they're still in the body and their, their three days have passed. Or the soul might have been, like in China, the grandparents raised the children. And so they'll raise the child from the time it's born till it's, you know, 30 years old and they're dying and they die and they feel like obligated to still be with that child to watch it grow. So they don't go on. So these souls, what they do is they'll attach themselves to someone with similar feelings. And so what happens is if you get a soul attachment, you may find that you start doing things that you normally don't do anymore. You might have done them in the past and so forth. I was in uh, upstate New York, 2013, 2014, and it was Thanksgiving. And I came home to meditate. I was by myself. I lived by myself and wanted a glass of wine. And I normally don't drink wine that often, but I felt like having a glass of wine. Start getting on the website and looking at things I normally don't look at. And so it was time to go up and meditate, 7 o'clock at night. So I got up to meditate, got in my position, and I started talking with my teachers. And I said, you know, I don't feel myself. I don't feel like meditating. What's wrong? They said, you have an attachment. I go, what? They said, you have an attachment. I said, how? So they reminded me that during the day I went to um, Walmart in Naples, New York, and it was the holidays, and I was aware of all the poorly dressed people buying cheap things and so forth, and I had a lot of compassion <laughs> for them. So I opened up myself, my compassionate self, to all these poor people, you know, my God, I'm getting... <laughs> excuse me, uh, Evie, I'm, I'm getting, you know, I'm almost like bringing these feelings back now. So I had a lot of compassion and feelings for these people feeling sorry for them. And so this says, you have an attachment. I says, no way. And so they reminded me. So I did the prayer protection. When I sat down, I didn't even feel like doing the prayer protection. I said, all right, let me do the prayer protection because I didn't feel like meditating. And I says, let me do the prayer protection. As soon as I did the prayer protection, I was like, shoom, I was back in my old self again. You know, I felt like, oh, my God. It's like <laughs> someone like, you know, gave me a shot of something and I'm back in my own self. I felt confident again and feeling good and so forth. So it sneaks up on you. These, these attachments can, what they do is they're looking for a, a means of getting to the next level of soul development. So they will attach themselves and come to someone that they see their aura. They can see auras and they'll say, ah, this person is enlightened. I'll attach to them. Maybe they can help me move on. And so with my children, <clears throat> my children, my students that come here, I find out that like just the other day, someone came and my teachers got me up in the middle of the night to, to remove someone that stayed. Uh, one of the parents brought an attachment here. And so I had, I <laughs> they got me up. They have funny ways of getting me up. They got me up to do this, um, this prayer to remove this soul. And uh, I did this prayer protection. And what, what happens is when I do the prayer protection, sometimes I do it, nothing happens. Sometimes when I do it, I feel the energy of the soul spiraling up through me. Like my son was telling me that, oh, it's spiraled up, it's gone. I feel that coming in from my 
root level going right up and out of me. So I know that I remove something. Sometimes I'd come out here and, and I don't know what my teachers want me to do. So I'll do the prayer protection. Nothing happens. So I just, you know, thank them for the time of being where I am and uh, go back to bed. So the prayer protection will protect you and your home and your environment from any negative energies. Once you say the prayer, you're protected. And so I say it after my kids leave and the parents leave. I'll say it at nighttime to remove any energy left over from what might have come into uh, my home space here. Go ahead. I was going to say, do you think that's different from saging your space like a lot of people do? What's staging? No, saging, like burning sage. Oh, to... saging. I have sage here. And I bought a lot of sage, but I haven't <laughs> I haven't used it yet. I do know the prayer protection works. I think if you burn sage and that's your intention, that will work for you. I just know that the prayer of protection works for me. I've done it all over the world when I'm staying places and I'll be near a, a new home or a new hotel. I'll say the prayer of protection and I feel the energies flowing through me. So I know that something was in the room or nearby that needed that wanted to move on to the next level of soul development. Do you believe yeah. that there are really a lot of harmful spirits out there? Or do you think that that's more of a human worry that's sort of exacerbated due to horror movies or something? Well, all right. Now, this is another area. See, this is a spiritual training school. All right. Now, to be here, the purpose is to learn wisdom. And to learn wisdom, you have to experience everything in life. We have free will to experience it. There's no such thing as sin. Sin is just a manufacture to control people, just to control them, just to be, I'm in charge of you. You have a sin. You come to church on Sunday. You give me money, and you can go to heaven. Basically what sin is, it's, it's, it's a fabrication to control people. You know of Lucifer, correct? Archangel Lucifer? Yeah, I've heard of all of the uh, demons and yeah, sure. Okay, well, he is an archangel and he works for God. He wasn't thrown out of heaven. He has, this earth is his environment. He's God of this earth where he can grant you whatever you want if you sell your soul to him. So EV, if um, you want fame and if you want money and you want this and you want that, you sell your soul to me and I'll make sure you have it. And he can do it. He does the same thing that God does for us, creates synchronicity where he can make things happen in your favor. What is popular is the people in Hollywood. A lot of people in Hollywood sell their soul to the devil and they do things because they want a, a role in a movie or they want a part. They want money. They want glory and so forth. They want power, money, fame. And so they'll sell their soul to the devil or they'll do questionable things, sacrificing their, their power. They give their power away to someone else. Okay. Someone else has control over them. So, but Lucifer Actually, his role is, is to tempt you 
through whatever means. If you have a weakness for power, he'll tempt you with power. If you have a weakness for sexual pleasure, he'll tempt you with sexual powers. His role is to tempt you to the point that you you learn to discipline yourself and all facets of who you are so you come into the God-created being that your soul was created in the image and likeness of God. That's his role. Lucifer is called the light bearer. And the light bearer means he brings you to the light. He brings you to the light through <laughs> temptation. All right? So he has followers that do not have your best interest in mind. And so they won't bother you unless you invite them into your kingdom, okay? So if you have a Ouija board or you're con conjuring up spirits and you want spirits to come in and you want something, you're inviting them into your kingdom. They won't bother you unless you invite them in. And the prayer protection, now the prayer protection, basically, it will protect you against any negative energy. But it basically protects you against trapped souls, souls that are looking for a means to get to the next level of soul development, and they don't know how to get there. They know you're a spiritual person. They'll attach to you. And while they're attached to you, it's like parasites. They'll get you to do what they want you to do because it makes them feel good. If you get, if they're like an alcoholic and you start drinking and you get drunk, it makes them feel good. Or if they're at, a big eater and you start eating it, it makes them feel good because they feel what you're feeling. Yeah. It's kind of living vicariously through you. <laughs> exactly. So your concept of Lucifer is to challenge humanity. And um, it's kind of like the Greek daimon, the demons in um, ancient Greece that actually challenged people to be better. They were refining humanity. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting perspective. I think the Bible and the, the Christian theology kind of misunderstood a lot of things about the spirit world, perhaps that, and that continues to today. Well, actually, the Catholic Church believes Lucifer is God. They believe Lucifer is God, and they believe Jesus is the son of Lucifer, which is all the fabrications, but I have a recording back in uh, 2004 of a ceremony, Easter Sunday ceremony of the church, and they speak in Latin, honoring Lucifer, the God of earth, and so forth, uh, the interpretation. I may say something here that I don't mean it to be disrespectful, but uh, some it's known that some priests are pedophilers or they are, have gay tendencies. And it's condoned in the Catholic Church. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the Vatican City is a country. Did yeah, you know that? I did. Okay. Why it's a country is that if someone is running from international police or the law, they can go to Vatican City and not be arrested because they cannot go into a country without permission to go in there. I don't know how small Vatican City is. It's a country, the smallest country in the world. And that's the reason why it's a country. 
And what they do is the police are looking for someone, they'll go to the Vatican and they'll, they'll live out their life in Vatican instead of a prison. But you would have to know somebody in the Vatican, I would assume, to get in. The Pope. The Pope himself. <laughs> the Pope himself and the Cardinals, they're all in it. It's a game. They're mm. all aware. They all have these tendencies. You don't become a Cardinal unless you are playing the game. Mm. You know the rules and you participate because it's all blackmail, and it's like, we have the information on you. Now, there's some priests at the lower level. Now, I'll tell you what. Well, I'll tell you that when I was young, I joined the seminary. I came out of primary school, and I going into high school, I joined the seminary. St. Andrew's Seminary in Rochester, New York. I joined because I wanted to serve God, and I thought this was a vehicle for me to go and become a priest. So I joined, the, I joined the high school, and E.V., when I got there, I was disappointed in how the priest there that ran the school treated the students, swearing, smoking, cussing, abusing the students, and so forth. And so I only spent, did I finish the year? I think I finished the half of the year. I finished half of the year, and I didn't want to study and I might have skipped the rest of the year. And I had to repeat my ninth grade again. I had to go to summer school because I didn't want to continue my ed education under those conditions. Uh, the illusion was of what being a priest was just was just opened up my eyes to what was going on. So, yeah, I reserve judgment on, you know, most Catholics, really. I, I feel like people on the small end of the church are, are really not maybe participating in bad, you know, exactly. vices. I think the Catholic Church has a certain reputation over centuries, really, of doing some pretty shady things, not just abusing kids even. So that's, you know, it's believable. I think all churches, all organizations have a tendency when they get powerful to abuse people in general. And that's kind of the sad side of organized religion or any organization, maybe. Okay. Let me share something with you for you and your lady listeners. The women on this planet are goddesses. The men on this planet are gods. It's the responsibility of the God to take care of the goddess. The goddess doesn't have the goddess. In the olden days, I say olden days, what happened was is about 10,000 years ago, the golden ones used to teach on earth. And then earth went through some cataclysmic uh, situations where it went from a, third, a fifth dimension reality to a third dimension reality where uh, the vibration on the earth came down. And so the vibration was so low that the golden ones had to leave. They left, and what happened was they came back in 2012 when Earth, 21 December 2012, when Earth moved back into a fifth dimension reality. So when Earth was a fifth dimension reality back then, the women ruled the planet. They were in charge of the government, and it was the purpose of the men. See, a woman has feelings. She, she uses her feelings to nurture, for compassion to raise up the vibration, to take care of her people. The men have the wisdom. They have the knowledge. So it was the responsibility 
of the men to implement the woman's desires. So if the woman says, well, you know, we need food for the people, how are we going to do it? It was the man who would say, okay, this is what we need to do. We need to get the farmers to do this, 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 and this, and this. That's how it works. That's how it's supposed to work now. And this is how it's going to work in the future. A woman does not have to go out and physically create something. All she has to do is sit down and say, I, God, universe, whatever her relation is to spirit, this is what I desire. And then she outlines what it is she desires, and then she just waits. It will be given to her. She doesn't have to get a man to give her security or give her finance or so forth and so forth. Now, we know that companionship is a big thing with couples because you can't have children and you want a loving relationship because you feel like you, your feelings, you can release your feelings freely when you're in a relationship where you're secure, you're safe, you're taken, being taken care of. And so this is what a woman, a goddess, needs to do is to embrace her goddessness and to just sit and ask for the things she desires without going out and thinking she's got to do it. It will come to her. Synchronicity. The universe will create synchronicity to bring all her desires to her. And it's the man's responsibility to take care of his goddess, all goddesses. Even my little female students here, Whatever they want, I give it to them. I take care of, I, I just honor that she's a female, that she's a little goddess, and whatever they want, I take care of it for them, whether it's a certain song they want or whatever they want to do, I honor them as being a female goddess. And so this is what men has to do. It doesn't have to be your wife. It can be a neighbor or so forth. You just help them out. You support the female goddesses in this world. It's a passive role for women in a way that kind of doesn't jibe with me because I feel I'm more active in my own role in the world. But I see what you mean. I, I see that you're kind of saying that um, the masculine personality has certain tasks. The, the feminine personality has certain tasks. I, I kind of jibe with it in a way. But for me, I don't want to just ask for things. I actually want to do things. So I feel a little in conflict with that. No, I understand that. Now, you see, we're created in the image and likeness of God. The mind of God is, is wisdom. The heart of God is feelings. So women represent the heart of God. Men represent the wisdom of God. Now, we're all created in the image and likeness. You have wisdom and you have feelings. One may be more dominant than the other within you, right. okay? Now, what's going on in the world right now is, see, many times we have experienced incarnations, carnations being a male, okay? And we adore the female. Now, we're in this life, and we're a female. And it's like, but I still love women. Here I am. I'm a female, but I'm attracted to women. They're attracted to women because in the past five carnations, they were a man. And they adored the women, all right? Same thing happens to a man, that he was a woman in his previous carnations. And now he comes into this life, and he's a man. And as a woman, he adored men. Now he comes here, 
and he's got feelings for men. They think that, oh, something's wrong with them biologically or so forth. No, nothing's wrong with them. They're just going through a conversion process of being who they were in one carnation and coming into another carnation because as a soul, we need to experience both genders because we're learning wisdom. We have to learn wisdom as a man and wisdom as a female. And so we go through this back and forth until we settle into feeling comfortable with who we are and so forth. Yeah, that's fair. I, I feel that in a past life, the, the last life, I was a man for sure. And I feel like at times, it's not that I want to be a man in this life at all. I don't have the desire to do that. But I feel at times like I have a kind of a masculine focus. Yeah. I, you know, when a movie comes on and it's, it's, I think about something, I cry. That's just my feminine aspect of who I am coming out, my compassion for the situation or, or when I look at a homeless person or someone that's ill or something like that, I feel for them. I don't think there's anything wrong. I think that's healthy for you to both express your femininity and your masculinity that's, because that's who we are. Right. Well, I got to ask you another question here. Um, this is kind of unrelated to what we were just talking about, but I see you have a lot of crystals in the background, spheres, in fact. And do you charge those with the energy of the Acturians or do you use charged crystals at all? Or how are you using them? Because you have so many. I have so many because I like crystals. <laughs> I don't charge them. I like them because all crystals have a characteristic. It's like rose quartz is for love. Obsidian is to for negative energies, to ward off negative energies and so forth. I wear crystals on my ring. I have six rings and they're all little crystals that I'm drawn to to have with me and so forth. It's just that I feel comfortable with crystals. I don't charge them. I just feel that this, my home, in your computer, you have crystals. You, you need a, a, a crystal in your computer for communications. And the spacecrafts in space, all the wiring is done in gold because gold doesn't have any resistance. So they don't use silver wiring in these spaceships or anything like that. That's why there's gold in your computer. There's gold in the spaceships. Because they facilitate energy. Even a, a laser uses a ruby, all right? Because a laser will amplify the characteristics of that ruby for healing in the body. So I just have the crystals. I don't know what they all do, but I just have them because they make me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> good enough, actually. They're beautiful to look at. Uh, and beauty is, is something that everybody wants a part of, right? So what is your, you know, if we can sum up here, what is your message to humanity so far? What, what do you think people really need to put their focus on right now in this day and age? Okay. For many years, that, now the golden ones are co-creator gods. They are the administrators of this earth spiritual training school. Everybody coming to earth is training to be a co-creator god. They're gods already created in the image and likeness of God, but they don't because they steal and because they do some things that is not godlike. They may feel I'm not a god because I, I this you know I don't do this I don't do this because they're not disciplined. And life is meant to discipline our 
created in the image and likeness of God, all God's characteristics are embedded in the soul, in their light body. So we have God's characteristics within us, but they're in their raw form. So, for example, love may be at its highest level. It's within us, but it it's, hasn't been developed yet. It's in a lower nature of it. It might be hate or, you know, not happy with ourselves or it could be just a lower aspect of our being. I basically say there's three types of training in this earth. There's the ego where you're learning who you are, ego. And then you, everything is me, 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 me. And then the next level is um, you start becoming a spiritual man. You become responsible for your family, for friends and so forth. And then the third level is co-creator God, where you embrace that you are God and that you work for creating a God consciousness in every moment within your being where you want to do the right thing for the, for the oneness of creation. A lot of things that's happening in the world right now is people are in the lower stage, the ego stage, because 10,000 years ago, when the earth moved from a fifth dimension into the third dimension, the lower vibration people on the planet took control of it, which were men, and they displaced the women. And now the men are using their logic to satisfy their lower desires of power, greed, and so forth, all right? Taking advantage of people. Now, this is all going to change because we're in the fifth dimension now. So they're just going through that aspect of training within themselves. So what people, the message that we need to embrace that we are gods and that we need to, we don't need, you never need to do anything, but embrace that you're a god or a goddess and that you just take on that aspect of what is a goddess? What do I think a goddess is? And what do I think a god is? And what would God do in this situation? And what would goddess do in this situation? And act, become aware of your thoughts and feelings and act accordingly. Embrace that you're a goddess or a god and act accordingly. And when you do this, you'll find out that obstacles in your life will be removed. You'll, you'll create a synchronicity of events happening that will make your life a lot easier. Obstacles will be removed and you'll embrace it. The universe will reward you. Now, there's no one God. There's no one in charge of the universe. There's not one spiritual being that sent his only begotten son to earth to, for mankind. You know that our solar system is in the Milky Way galaxy, correct, Evie? Yes, I do. Yeah. Now, in that Milky Way galaxy, there's over 400 billion other stars there. And all those stars have planets around them, right? <laughs> yeah. Do you know that that galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, is one of 500 billion galaxies in this universe? Yeah. It's hard so, to imagine, but yes. So now... You think God would come and put out of all these trillions of planets, put his only son on this earth? We are the gods and there's no one above us. Now, what conditions us, there's a law, there's universal law of cause and effect. What you do to another will be done unto you. That's how we're trained. When we steal from someone, someone will steal from us. If we kill someone, someone will kill us. And we learn these things between carnations. 
in between carnations, we experience all the wrong we have done in their carnation. It's like you get zapped. You hurt someone with pain, now feel what you did to them. And then you go, I'm never going to do that again. So we're all conditioned and trained by the universal law of cause and effect. What you do to another will be done unto you. And that's how the universe, this training school, trains us. Now, you, we have angels and archangels to guide us. We have spiritual teachers. But it's a free will training school. So they cannot interfere with us unless we ask for their assistance. I ask for their assistance all the time. I ask every night when I go to bed. I ask for the angels to give me pleasant dreams <laughs> and so forth. So. Yeah. That's wonderful. I, I like your message, actually. I think it's kind of a kind of Eastern philosophy in a way, you know, you know, karma and coming back in different incarnations and experiencing this world and with a different perspective each time, maybe coming in from a low perspective, being poor and then being born into maybe a different incarnation where you have wealth and you have to experience all aspects of humanity and dealing with others and treating them fairly if you can, because that's kind of the goal. If you want to be treated fairly yourself, you know, I've thought for a long time that I don't believe in a Messiah. I, you know, it's wonderful that people want to make religions around a Messiah that's going to save humanity. But I think people have enormous power themselves if they would just realize that. Stop waiting for somebody to save you and exercise your own power and develop your own wisdom to your highest ability in this lifetime. You know, use it. Exactly. Use it. exactly. So I want to thank you for coming on and um, we'll put a link to your website in the show notes for this episode so people can find your writings and find you if they want to connect with you. I appreciate all, all of your wisdom and your teachings and, you know, your interesting life that you embarked on and you're still, you're still on that journey. It's great. <laughs> I still am working on mastering astral projection. <laughs> I know You need come. to come back and maybe tell us more about that in the future, I would say. I appreciate the opportunity, Evie, to uh, share the teachings of the Golden Ones with you. Blessed listener, please leave your questions or comments for this episode at disembodiedpodcast.com. Thank you.